to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 23. Joining me as always is Rowan. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And a very special week this week, a very big week for Home Assistant. So joining us today is the one and only founder of Home Assistant, Paulus. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So tell us what's going on in Home Assistant land this week. Yeah, so going on in Home Assistant land is that I have joined Ubiquity Networks as a full-time employee focusing my efforts on Home Assistant. Um, and Ubiquity Networks is a manufacturer of, uh, they do, they're all over the place, but they mainly focus on like network equipment and high-end consumer experiences. Um, they're mainly known inside our community for all the network gear. So they make uh, very good access points and they make routers and switches and they it all ties together very nicely. Um, and so... Yeah, they, they reached out to me because they saw that a lot of their users are using Home Assistant and uh, they also want to integrate, you know, their gear with Home Assistant. They were like, Let, let's reach out and see if we can support Home Assistant. And that's, that's where I'm now. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. So I guess you've left your previous job and now you can focus full-time on home assistant is that right yeah so i was on parental leave uh i i, I live in california and it's where you get uh, 12 weeks of parental leave so since december i was on parental leave and while on parental leave they reached out to me and so i kind of transitioned like after my parental leave i just started at ubiquity oh that's awesome um, yeah last this week it started uh, on wednesday so california and i think ubiquity was in new york is that right yes well, they're so, all over the place, but uh, the the office I fall under is New York. Okay, so do you have oh, to yeah, New York for that. I'm in New York right now. Um, so the weather is not as good as in San Diego. I can tell you that. <laughs> no. Yeah, I bet. I imagine. <laughs> so, what does Ubiquity get out of this deal? If they're so, they're not getting any ownership of Home Assistant or anything like that. No. So uh, it was very important to me that like I did not want to get into any deal with if we would have to give up any ownership or like give them an influence in like the direction. Um, so what, what Ubiquity gets out of it is that they will, obviously home assistant will get better and they, um, they want to look eventually to see if a uh, home assistant can run on their hardware. Um, there's nothing set in stone right now. Um, and of course, this is also something for their users because they have so many home assistant users among their users. So they are. This is also giving back to their users um, in that sense. Yeah, right. Um, and so, uh, will you be like a just a normal uh, employee there? Will you have your own dev tasks to do for Ubiquity, or will you just be focused on Home Assistant? I, I will just be focused on Home Assistant. I will not build any Ubiquity gear or anything like that. So, um, I'm a remote employee. And um, I just, so they want me to work on like things that I actually, um, or let I will work on, sorry, that's not what they want per se, but like I will work on uh, getting home system easier to configure for users. And this is a project that I actually started already a couple of months ago uh, with the configuration entries. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the next release, 067. It's going to be the first release that will have configuration entries uh, active. And the idea is that you can configure Philips U through the UI without interacting, uh, writing any YAML files, which was already possible 
previously using the configurator, but now with the new setup, you can also remove Philips U on the fly without restarting. Um, and this infrastructure is what I, I've been building for the last few months. And we're gonna I plan on like adding more components to this. So we can just, uh, you know, we can, when it comes to setting up new devices, you no longer will need any YAML. So That's it will huge. all be web-based. Yeah, that is huge. Yeah, and so I've been, um, and the other thing that actually Ubiquiti uh, wants to see, wants me to work on is uh, users and permissions. Oh, um, so that's actually been a, a very big, I've seen that a few times uh, posted as a feature request, you know, the ability for, you know, a tablet to have a restricted user. And then, you know, is that the sort of user and permissions you're looking for in Home Assistant? Yeah, well, we're going all in. So, yeah, our current system is pretty weak because we have one password and you share it with everything that needs to access Home Assistant. Mm-hmm. And then one password has all the permissions, right? And so, as we are building more and more stuff to help configure through a user interface, it means that the API becomes more dangerous, right? And so yeah. we need to be able to secure that down. And so I've been there's an we have an architecture repo in the Home Assistant repo uh, organization where we've been like discussing the user authentication flow, and I just published a diagram of like how I expect this to work uh, three days ago. And the way I'm thinking about it's going to work is that there will be flexible authentication backends. So there will be one that just points like a, keeps a local user database, but you could also maybe log in with your Home Assistant Cloud account to, into Home Assistant, or you could access maybe even with Facebook if we want. Um, and so having different authentication backends, and then there will be users, and there will be like an administrator who can add users, remove users. Um, and then there's going to be permissions. So there are going to be users that can only control states. Uh, there are users that can configure a home assistant. There will be users that configure uh, the users in that sense. Yeah. That's Do you great. have any plans to make it device level? You know, only this user can control devices in the bedroom and this user can control devices in the living room, for example? I Well, that's I'm building the system up in a way that we can do that in the future. It's not going to be on the uh, roadmap initially. And the, the big challenge with uh, limiting the scope is that it's um, what if you target a script and then that script will call another script and then that script will call like your bedroom. Like we have to keep track of all the permissions down the line of all the scripts. Um, and that might be a bit more challenging. Yeah, that I can see that as being a, a very big challenge. Yeah. So, so right, right now, it's just going to be, the, well, the first version of users is going to have zero permissions. Right? And like everyone will have the same permissions as we have today. Um, but once the initial foundation is in place, we can like iterate on it and move faster. Right. That's pretty cool. So will, uh, will you be like kind of removing or rejecting components that will be, uh, that, that might be competitors to Home Assistant? Or is that going to be kind of a separate uh Competitors to Home Assistant? Oh, sorry, competitors, uh, competitors to Ubiquiti. Oh, uh, no, no, absolutely not. Um, I think that this is another... So, you know, one thing that I wanted was very important is that we keep our independence. And the other thing is that I'm not going to add specific code because uh, or reject other components or code because Ubiquiti wants this. Um, it is... Um, we have, of course device and manufacturer specific code in all our integrations because that's how the integrations work mm-hmm. but on a core level i mean we have always been very flexible in like how home assistant can be configured and where people can hook into the system right like with custom components 
and custom panels. And, you know, that's, that should be enough, right? Like, there should not, I would never ever, not for Ubiquity or any other uh, company that would pay me at any specific code for vendors. Um, I would, of course, I mean, if somebody wants to add some hooks in other parts of the system because they want to integrate Home Assistant, right? Like we can add generic hooks like custom components, custom panels, yeah. but we would never ever have specific code or reject any code from competitors, right? Like the only components I've ever rejected for Home Assistant were related to like torrent trackers. And uh, like illegal activity, I would not like want to have inside Home Assistant. Right. But otherwise, like people, like we want to have as many integrations, right? Make every integration makes Home Assistant more attractive. Hundred percent agreed. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. So, do you think there's plans for Ubiquity to sell an off-the-shelf like Home Assistant hub or something like that, and that's why you've been brought on? Yeah, there's no plans that I know. Um, the only thing they said that they might eventually look into running in a home assistant on one of their hardware but they i mean i don't know which hardware because their hardware is all over the place yeah um but yeah I, i'm not in the loop of that interesting okay um so between between home assistant ubiquity um are you guys thinking of making better better kind of integrations um like different apis uh, for things like motion detection things like that i'll definitely uh, be looking into the gear that ubiquity has um i'm still because it's only been two days and so i'm still learning about all the different product lines and stuff mm -hmm. but i'm definitely going to look into the uh current integrations with the ubiquity gear and see which uh which parts we want to improve um Right, because they have some uh, local IP camera gear uh, that would be cool to have in Home Assistant. I think we already, I'm not 100% sure we already have an integration for it or how good it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll be looking into like making sure that like the, those integrations work well. Right, right. So I guess uh, now you've got a, a bit more time on your hands. Are there any, I mean, when we do projects, you know, if I had full time to work on uh my home assistant config, there's a lot of things I'd automate. What are some of the tasks that you've had, you know, on the back burner for home assistant that now that you have can, ded can really dedicate um, a full time on it that you could excited to get into home assistant? Um, well, I think that's going to be the configuration entries and like the whole, the user being able to configure everything through the user interface. That's something that I mean, I've said this in, in podcasts in the past as well as that it, being able to build a user interface for users that they can do everything through the UI is a lot of work. And that work is not something you can do in your volunteer time, like on the side and in the weekend. So now that I can focus on it full time, I should be able to make a lot of progress on, uh, on this. Um, one thing I will not spend more time on is like reviewing pull requests. Um, I think if I look at like how I can spend my time, I will like review pull. I, I will still obviously review pull requests, but I'm not going to make it my full time job to get it to like zero pull requests. Just because every pull request adds a new feature to like an integration of Home Assistant, and I really want to focus my time. I think it's best spent on focusing on building the foundation of Home Assistant and extending that for other people to build cool stuff on top of it. It's a bit like um, you know, if you're a manager or owner of a company, if you're working inside the company, you're not working on the company. And so, if you're busy doing pull requests, yes. you know, it's hard for you to be, you know, pushing forward with the ideas for the configurator and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So in December, you announced uh, Home Assistant Cloud. Um. 
with the uh, initial Amazon Echo offering. Does the announcement with Ubiquity change anything to do with um, the paid uh, Alexa cloud service that you offered? Um, no, nothing at all. So this is another thing that was very important to me is that Home Assistant Cloud will stay independent um, from Ubiquity. Home Assistant Cloud will launch, um, like I mean, it, it's already Alexa's launch and Google Assistant has been certified, but has not internally been tested Google now and will launch soon. And um, that, that plan will just continue in, independent of Ubiquity. And this is important to me because Home Assistant Cloud will generate a revenue stream for the Home Assistant project. And so that means it's also like a fallback, right? Imagine that Ubiquity will ever say, wants me to do stuff that I don't want to do. I will be able to quit and still work on Home Assistant. Um, and also with the revenue stream, we're going to get uh, Pascal to work on HasIO is the plan. Um, this obviously is like down the line, um, but we want to also get more resources to HasIO for building images faster, um, getting better test gear uh, to Pascal. Yeah, because I guess, you know, everything has a cost. We've discussed this in the past, you know, there's lots of... Uh, donations that people are using, like they're donating server resources and time. And yeah, there's a lot of things that money would definitely help the project. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have, and I only just mentioned Google Home, do you have an update on any time frame of when it will be available in the Home Assistant Cloud? It's, um, well, we're in the final, final, final stage of the Google Home or Google Assistant certification. And um, I can, let me elaborate on that process because it was way more involved than with Amazon Alexa. Oh, I should not have said that. Um, sorry. Um, so with the, to get our skill approved for uh, Google Assistant, I had to ship two Raspberry Pis running HasIO to uh, a Google test, a company that Google has contracted to test their skills wow. that are going to be published. And so I had uh, a QA person, you know, open Home Assistant, like plug it into their local system and use their iPhone to connect uh, and configure um, a Nest and a Wemo and a Philips U and then connect to Google Home and then test through a set of like sentences that they are saying like change the color to this, change the brightness to that. Um, and so the, the first time this test actually ran, we failed spectacularly. <laughs> I thought I had all the cases covered and I did some tests locally, but um there were some things that failed. And so that's why one of the reasons why I just recently rewrote Philips U was to make it more uh, predictable and uh, and make it actually work with Google Assistant. Um, but yeah, so that we passed the physical tests. And after the physical test, now um, Google is internally testing uh, the Home Assistant skill. So they have like a dog food program. And once it's, uh, once it's through the dog food program, it will be released uh, publicly. And so I, I cannot give any timeline because I'm not in control, but it should be soon. It's like, you know, launching an app for Apple on the App Store and it's up to the, the gods at Apple to decide when it gets finished, I guess. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize how uh, how rigorous the uh, Google's process was for, for uh, submitting something like this, right? Which I'm actually kind of glad to hear it is. No, yeah, it was it was a surprise to me too because for Amazon, you make a instance of Home Assistant available somewhere in your like I had it like hosted on a server, 
and you just give them the credentials to have it connect to an uh, Amazon uh, device, and then they will just test it remotely. They don't have to be uh, like seeing the device, touching the device, and actually talking to it. Right. Um, and Google had that test. That was like their initial test, and I was like, oh, it's the same. And then they were like, congratulations, you passed the first phase. Now please ship a, <laughs> ship a physical hardware. That's funny. Well, I, I, guess, I wonder if that plays into how, like, there's a bit of a, a skill shortage. I know a lot of people complain that Google Home doesn't have as many smart home skills as the Amazon Echo does. So I wonder if, you know, this barrier to entry, like having to ship a physical device, plays into that. Maybe. I mean, it will delay with a month or two. But I think the the bigger thing is that the Google smart home skills are still being developed very much. And so the number of available traits are limited. So there's um, there's toggles, there's switches, there's uh, temperature control. Um, and I think vacuum cleaners, like robo vacuum cleaners, they have support now for. Um, but I mean, they're still building it out as well. Um, they're just, you know, they started a year or two later than Amazon, right? Yeah, that's true. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. So so what's the deal with, uh, with, with freebies? Do Home Assistant users get discounts or freebies on Ubiquity Gear or? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't think so. I have not discussed this, but... I mean, I know that like Plex has these partnerships, right, with people to get like discount on certain gear. Um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe something for Home Assistant Cloud users. But no, there's nothing. There's nothing planned right <laughs> now. To ask. But that's okay. We trust you'll make it happen, Wallace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, congratulations. That is, um, yeah, really big changes to Home Assistant this week, and I think it's going to make 2018 a very exciting year for Home Assistant. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, from now on. I would expect our pace of development to be like a lot faster, right? There's all these ideas that were just like not, I could not tackle it because it would take like five, six days full-time working on it. And that's not something you can put in the weekends and the evenings and while also reviewing pull requests and running the rest of the organization. And so now just during the day, I'll just get my cup of coffee in the morning and I can just work on it. Yeah, that's awesome. And you'll get to work from wherever you are in the world at that time. That's right. All right, well... Uh, this weekend or this week brings out uh, Home Assistant 0.67 and there are some new components uh, that we need to talk about as well. So uh, the first component up is the new folder watcher component which allows Home Assistant events to be fired when a file is added to a folder. So this will be cool if you've got any uh, ubiquity gear that might be maybe some cameras or something, putting some JPEGs into a folder for us. That'd be nice. 
Yeah. Yeah. Trigger an action when you see a picture, you know, maybe some processing Send or something like that. That's Telegram chat room or something. Yeah. I think the, the, the driver, so uh, the, the person that made this, what drove the person to contribute this component was he has an IP camera, I think, with motion sensor on it. And so whenever it detects motion, it will upload a file to a certain folder. And now he has like a motion sensor and he can like send that video or picture out to his phone, for example. I guess you could um, also combine it with uh, the download component as well once uh, whatever the download component's downloaded for you, pop it in a folder and then let Home Assistant move it somewhere or send you a message to tell it it's done. Yeah. So another component we've got, uh, free DNS. So we see another uh, dynamic DNS provider in here, uh, which is good to see. It gives people a, you know more options for for exposing their their instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another one I'm really excited about is the Google Maps presence detection. Um, I actually thought Google had removed this option to share your location. but Apparently, it's still there. And if you want to use it, you can add it to Home Assistant now. And Home Assistant can use Google Maps, which is on any Android phone. And if you don't want to use Apple Maps, you've probably already got it on your iPhone. You can then share your location data with Home Assistant. So that's a very good uh, new device tracker, I think. Yeah, that's interesting because it, it, I'm just reading the description as well. And it says it allows you to track Android devices without battery impact. So that's huge. Yeah. Um, I remember I was watching now, I, I like don't, using I, own tracks or something. And the battery, like it, depending on the how much interval you wanted to track your location, it could drain your battery very quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's It's... Uh, I don't know that 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 almost seems like a very bold statement, right? So I'm 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 hoping for for Android users that that's true. That's if that's the case, that's amazing. I don't know. So I think what's happening is that your phone is already reporting its location yeah, to right. Google, mm-hmm. and so I think I, I I glance briefly at like the package they're using, but I think they're just logging into your Google account and seeing where the phone is currently located, like or the last reported location of the phone. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think the there was an iOS one, so, um, but it could drain your battery because it would actually log into the Find My iPhone feature, which would then require, like would then turn on the GPS on the iPhone every, you know, like minute or something, which would drain the battery. But if I'm reading this correctly, um, Android already sends like your location in the background anyway. It's um, part of the... Google timeline feature and all that. So if there's no extra calls needing to be made, then there's no extra data drain or you know battery drain on your phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which makes sense. Yeah, that I I actually used to use the uh, iCloud component, and that was it would destroy my my uh, my usage. Uh, sorry, not my usage, my yeah. my battery. Yeah, the big driver there is that uh, if you I mean you need to have Google location history turned on, I think. But what is happening on Android is that. Google will detect on the phone if you're moving or not. And if when is the right time to get like a GPS fix, uh, maybe it will schedule together with other apps that want to have GPS fixes. And so it's very efficient. The iPhone one would indeed just wake up the iPhone, have it capture the GPS and then report back, which was not like scheduled together with all the other apps that might want to get a GPS fix. Yeah, that's wicked. Uh, there's also a Waze travel time sensor added. So um, you know uh, how long it's going to take you live, basically, to go from point A to point B. So from home to, you know, maybe work or something I like that. I love Waze. Do you, do so you, that's uh, using Waze as a Do you use Waze for GPS navigation? I 
I use Waze all the time. Oh, I love Waze. Um, oh yeah, even even when I'm going to to places that like I I know exactly how to get to my work yeah. from my house, but I I still use I still have Waze on all the time. Um, and I'm I'm a huge like I'll report stuff and and you know I consume the reports and stuff as well. I I love the concept of Waze. Yeah, I can't wait to try this one out. I, I can see in the um the the docs there. It's only available. Um, for some regions, I'm hoping I can just put in Australia and it will just work, but I'll find out soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's where, because I don't believe Waze is available everywhere. So I'm, I'm guessing you can use this where Waze is available. Oh, see, I didn't know Waze had an API. I just thought it was the app. And now I'm seeing like this travel time component. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize they had an API. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Waze was always uh, Waze was always pretty innovative, right? That's why that's why Google yeah. acquired them at some point. Uh, it was, uh, if I remember correctly, they were they were just layering on the social data on top of yep. Google Maps, um, so almost almost enhancing Google Maps there. Right? And now so, I think they've gone the other way. I think Google now brings in data of Waze reports into um, Google Maps. So if you're just using the standard Google Maps for turn by turn direction, anyone that's using Waze, they'll like share that data in the background and then apply that to you know google maps for those users that don't have ways mm-hmm. yeah it, it brings a human element into into maps right because it's typically how maps travels uh calculates travel time and stuff is based on your location which is hey you know as my car stopped right and okay based on that that's now adding time but now if it sees a lot of cars stop yep. okay well let's flag it as you know, a busy road or something right exactly so um a, another new component is the nanoleaf aurora these are. Have you seen these? That's, the 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 cool smart lights. Yeah, these are these are pretty cool. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen them. Uh, they're they're. It's one of those things where it's kind of gimmicky, but it's it's. I I love these things. They're they're. They, they look expensive. They look. Cool. They look very cool. Like good to. If you have a nice feature wall, <laughs> yes, that they do could look. Use some lighting. This is what you want to put on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a bunch of um, some little. Um, updates as well there's tahoma switches added uh amcrest ip cameras now have a switch and there's a new notification service as well so that's always handy uh some breaking changes uh the default pilot port number has been changed so if you're using pilot um you'll need to update it it's been moved to 5001 instead of 5000 yep and then uh bmw connected drive uh they've changed the con- uh, config key uh based on your region now so the con- uh, config key country based on the region uh so uh i think the usa and canada like USA weren't and- being supported but so they've had to update that yeah yeah um oh look another expensive car i can't afford um the mercedes api <laughs> um, has been removed. So if you have a Mercedes, you can no longer interface it with Home Assistant. Sorry. Yeah, the problem there was I think that Mercedes did a complete overhaul mm-hmm. of their API, breaking our old integration, like it no longer worked. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I, I was I was just going to ask if you if you had if you had any insight into how how that happened. So that's interesting. Okay. Um, we've also yeah, that's the that's the problem with unofficial yeah. integrations. Like it's. Yeah. If they decide to change their API, make a breaking change, or just remove it, you know, we, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Uh, there's also a for media players. There's a new media type uh, called media type movie. So that's kind of cool. So now you can fire off automations when uh, when when a movie starts playing on a uh, on a media player that you have. I think this brings some um, um, 
some good consistency amongst all the platforms. I know, if, for example, if you're using Plex, you would have to um, go into the Plex attributes and find out what sort of movie, like what type of, you know, video is playing. Then, okay, it's a TV show. Oh, it's a movie. Okay. But I think the most common use case is, you know, when a movie starts playing, dim the lights. So now I think it's consistent across all the platforms. You can work out what type of video is playing easy. That's amazing. Yeah. But it is a broken change. Yeah. So this release, I already touched upon it a bit earlier in the podcast, is going to introduce uh, configuration entries. And actually, configuration entries, I, I don't, I haven't published much about it yet outside of like the source code. But it's going to be a new way how we're configuring Home Assistant components. And it will no longer store it in YAML. Instead, it's going to be stored, like Home Assistant will take care of storage. Um, it's going to be used for uh, mainly the authentication of like bigger pieces, so like Philips Hue um, and like uh, account info that you don't per se want to uh, store in YAML. Um, and the goal that we're having here is that we will also store like a version number, like a versioning system for what's the format of the configuration. And so when a component gets updated in a future Home Assistant version to have different configuration keys, etc., we will be able to migrate the configuration. So we should no longer have any breaking changes, for example, oh. for Philips U. Because Philips U, we store the configuration format and if we would have to have more information or like move things around slightly, we can just migrate the existing configuration. So how do you That's yeah, how do you see cool. um people being able to share their configurations with it not being stored in YAML anymore? Do you think there'll be like an export or import feature? Um so we're so we're not gonna get rid of YAML or the that's gonna be around. And the way I see it initially is that I was looking around and looking at the types of configurations that are being shared. And if you look at what people are sharing, they don't share that they have Philips U set up, right? Or the authentication um, for it. They don't share their Spotify. Look, I have Spotify set up. Instead, the things that people share are groups, automations, scripts, um, and templated sensors and uh, templated anything pretty much. So for configuration entries initially, I'm going to focus on making components configurable through the UI, only the ones that you wouldn't per se share. Um, but for example, in the case of Philips U, we have decided that we will still allow people to configure through configuration.yaml, but we'll convert it to a configuration entry on the fly. And so actually introducing configuration entries for Philips U in this release is a backwards compatible change. Neat, okay. And from a coding perspective, we have the requirement that all configuration entry code is covered by tests. So you reduce the risk of you know That's a future release bringing in a bug to something. Yeah, so we should be able to have um, make sure that we catch all the bugs and we have a certain quality that we can guarantee of like, hey, you're configuring this through the user interface. And this is how, um, and then it will just work. And kind of my goal, and I hope we can get there by, I don't know, somewhere this year, is that I want to be able to have Home Assistant um, use configuration entries for like the more popular components. Um, and then if we also have users, then we got a pretty solid system going on where 
maybe you might not have to touch configuration.yaml if you are a beginning you, user. Yeah, if you can cover mm. off, you know, main use cases. And I'm sure you might be able to see this um, in the background with the statistics that you gather of Home Assistant users. You can gather, you know, all right, mainly people use the Hue component and maybe they use the Sonos component. If we can cover off, you know, at least those two, you know, and that's 98% of our users, then we've got 98% of our users that would never have to touch a YAML file. Yeah, and the way I see it is that if all the simple tasks are possible through a user interface, we can reach a, a whole wider audience uh, will have access to Home Assistant. And then if you want to do the advanced stuff, right, you'll have to go into YAML. Um, and maybe in the future that will too become a user interface. But it's just going to be tricky because there's a lot of advanced stuff possible and we, I don't think we can really capture that uh, in a user interface. But So we'll keep the text files around for all the pro users and for the simple users. We'll focus on users. That's to awesome. um, change or, or bring in an automation editor? I know a lot of people now are starting to use Node-RED. Do you have any idea on how we could use, like bring in a sort of a, a, an easier way to create advanced automations without using YAML? Well, we have an automation editor, right? In our configuration panel, and we have a script editor. Um, they are not the easiest to use, and there's definitely some user interface like optimizations we could do, but you can create and update uh, automations today uh, completely on the fly okay. from user interface already. And do you think like there's a, a space for those to like for that to get any like a, like a, a complete WYSIWYG? I'm thinking, you know, as a new user, if I want to set up a an automation and I'm going through the whole flow of setting up Home Assistant, you know, maybe the ability to similar to a Node Red, you know, drag and drop automations in place. Do you think that's somewhere like Home Assistant will be heading towards? Um, I don't know about the drag and drop, like Node Red. Um... They have a very nice like designer tool for automations where you have the flows and how data flows. Mm -hmm. But I also think that what Node Red, it's still very complicated, right? Like I feel I almost want to get to a way where we can almost have like templated automations. So like, I mean, we have, for example, a component that will provide an automation to turn the lights on when the sun is setting. Right, we have that in Home Assistant. Like maybe that's a component that we should allow people just to toggle on and off, for example. Right, and have just like fill in the entities it wants to go with. If we want to go to a very advanced editor, that's just a lot of work, right? And I think Node Red is from IBM, <clears throat> and they just have full-time developers working on just that user interface. And I think at this point for Home Assistant, that's not going to be a focus. Yeah, that's fair enough. Fair enough. So w one of the things you mentioned, Paulus, is uh, is you might store things like uh, possibly passwords and API keys and stuff internally within the config entries. So how does that affect? Uh, how does that affect, for example, Docker users like myself, where where the container might not necessarily be persistent, right? So, i.e., I might be killing a container and then opening it up again. Is that still part? Is part of that still going to be exported somewhere, maybe in an encrypted file or something like that? Or yeah, we're going to store that in the configuration entry. Okay. Yeah, and we're gonna so the configuration entries. I'm also going to tie in more closer with co the co the entity registry that we launched a few releases ago. Yeah. So soon you will be able to see for which configuration, uh, like entry, for example, your your Philips U. And it will then be able to show you all the devices that were added as part of that configuration entry. Okay. And 
when you remove your configuration entry, we will also be able to clean up your entity registry uh, optionally because those empties will not be coming back. Ah, yeah, that's, that's neat. Cool. Okay. Hmm. Well, that's pretty interesting. So, so some other uh, notable changes, uh, Phil, this will make you happy. Uh, there's some new device support for Xiaomi uh, air humidifiers. More Xiaomi gear, yes. <laughs> and uh, and and you can use their Wi-Fi repeater uh, as an integration, uh, or the Wi-Fi repeater as a device tracker as well from that uh, from their integration there. Xiaomi is like the one-stop shop for like everything now. It's just crazy. <laughs> I was just reading, uh, I think Bloomberg post an article that there are rumors that Xiaomi might be interested in acquiring really? GoPro. Whoa, yeah. that's huge. That's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's indeed very interesting. That is. Yeah, I just uh I just uh got my introduction to to the Xiaomi ecosystem with the uh Mi Flora uh the plant sensors uh, devices which exactly yeah I don't I don't have a green thumb <laughs> so uh I figured maybe that could help me out a little bit. <laughs> All right. Um also in this release um HomeKit now has um, support for color temperatures. Um, I assume you can now ask Siri to change the color of your light bulbs. And also, uh, yeah. Tradfree um, from IKEA, the light bulbs, they get color temperature support now too, which is interesting. I thought that would have been like a, a standard feature, but interesting that that didn't come out. Yeah. There's also some uh, authentication config changes uh, for Hue. So again, backwards compatible. I think that's what you were well. talking about before. Is that right, Wallace? Um, the in this release. Yeah. Yeah, that's the configuration entries for Philips Hue. Yes. And now uh, the lady that shall not be named uh, for the Amazon Echo, she now gets support for thermostats, um, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's handy. That's one of the things I thought that was uh, that I was trying to use. <laughs> I was like, huh. Okay. So I guess we're not doing that you, one yet. Well, that's actually the, the, our because of that pull request. Um, I, I was. Uh, together with the author of that pull request, we were looking at how we currently do our climate integrations, and we realized that we kind of—it's kind of a mess. Um, we are conflating the Ava in the mode and the current operation of the climate devices, um, and so we're going to actually do a cleanup there because even like today, the Alexa integration will work fine with Ecobee and Nest. But a bunch of other climate devices have not exposed the correct operation modes. And so that will not be possible. Uh, but we're going to do a cleanup and I expect it to land in a release or two to make sure that we align all it's the climate integrations. Like Wild West out there. There's so many different ways that, you know, they each, you know, talk or have their own language of how they're going to talk to each, you know, sort of device. Is it a thermostat? Is it an air conditioner? Is it a humidifier they're all guessing yeah, all over the shop yeah uh, bluetooth device trackers so can now request um the yeah. received signal strength um so have you guys heard of uh room assistant which is a little um dock room which you can run on a raspberry pi it allows you to um detect whereabouts in your home a phone is or a bluetooth tracker and then you can use it for room detection and so this is the same sort of principle you can now determine how far away a phone is from your Bluetooth tracker. That's interesting. Okay. So so now does that mean I have one of these things in in you know like in, in every room and then I can say, okay, if you're within 
I don't know, like five meters of this thing. That means you're in yeah, this room. Exactly. That's neat. Okay. So, so because we're pulling in the RSSI and then we can match it that way. That's yeah, actually, I guess it could also be useful if you're, you know, maybe in an apartment complex and you want to work out, you know, how, you know, you might connect to your Bluetooth, but be in a neighbor's apartment or something like that. You can now use it to determine how close you are to mm-hmm. your Bluetooth tracker to say, yes, you're home. No, I'm not home yet. That's neat. Okay. There's also uh, some new features added uh, for regex matching as well. Uh, so essentially, we can start using regex in, within the templates for uh, using these helper functions. So regex underscore match, regex search, regex replace. So that's uh, for people that like regex. I'm a really really big fan of uh, templates in Home Assistant, and I can't wait to see some of the stuff that's going to come out with these functions. Yeah, it's my my, my problem is I hate. I hate dealing with regular expressions. Yeah. <laughs> I have to deal with them all the time and, and they're the worst. But they're so powerful. <laughs> they are. They are. And I think that really covers off the 067 release. Polis, is there any other big announcements you want to make while you're here? Just get them all out at once. <laughs> no, I think I've done my big announcement for this week. <laughs> Do you want to launch a new feature for Home Assistant while you're here? Okay. We no, we'll do it in the next podcast. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Um, if you have any questions for us or maybe you've got a favorite automation you want to share with us, feedback at haspodcast.io. All this, thank you very much for joining us and congratulations once again. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thank you very much.